How many of y'all have been enjoying the series so far, The Life of David? I have really been just trying to make it as concise as I can. I mean, if you look at David's life, you can take, from, take lessons, amazing lessons in his life. And I encourage you to, to read the accounts of his, of his life in First and Second Samuel and, and Chronicles and Kings. And, um, but I've worked hard in, in just trying to, 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 to give you the messages that, that's really been ringing in my heart. And, and um, the things that God has, has been just letting me kind of live out the message of. Um, we're looking at the whole theme of the series is a man after God's own heart, David, who is this person in contrast to other leaders in, 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 in the history of Israel that, that, have, that have just um, given us this, this picture of a person who is really committed to the Lord. And so, and so we talked about it in the first series, and then we talked about the courage and how, how he was able to do this because he, he had a big heart. Uh, uh, he was able to fill his heart with the testimonies of God's goodness in previous battles, and he was just able to remind himself of the goodness of God. He would look at the Torah, the, the, the law of, of, of the Lord, the word of the Lord for, for Israel, and he, and he would just put it in his heart, able to kill the giants. And, and, and get to the victories that God has for him. And so we want to be like David. Um, I want to be like David. And in this third um, installment of this series, mini-series, um, I, I, I want to look at, I wanna look at the, the legacy and the lineage of David. You see, at the end of his life, he, he, he's looking at God's goodness throughout all his life. And, and, and not only that, he cared about the future generation. What would his family's name be in the future generation? What would worship be in the life of the nation of Israel? He cared about the future. He was looking to the future with, with a heart to invest in the next generation. And so I, I'm really just... You know, from when David killed Goliath, you know, about, about, about you know, 40 years has, has passed, close to 40 years, and he is, he is old and wise, and we're going to look at what he was about to, part, to, to, to leave as a legacy for, for, for Israel and for his family. And so... In the big, scary, and small details, God is involved in his life. David, here we would see that he has a big dream, huge, and um, not only caring about the present, but the future, huge, right? That's, that's a huge burden. In, in fact, ministers and people who, whom God called to, to ministry or to, to, who, who God called to, big, to do big things, they, they would put so much weight on their shoulders because they have a big uh, dream for God to accomplish what God had called them to do. And at times, they would, they would feel depleted and, and just out of strength, out of courage. And yet, we will see what the secret, secret David had so that he was able to accomplish even the future that he was not able to 
um, be there for. And so my question for you this morning is, do you have a big dream that you haven't told anyone about? Or perhaps you tell everyone because you're extroverted. Naturally, you'd, you'd do that. But what is your dream? If, if, if given all the money in the world, what legacy would you build with that? You know, I mean, money, money talks. It's resources, right? You know, it accomplishes a lot of things. And so that might be in your mind. Well, if God allowed me to do this, I would build this. Perhaps it's ministry. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's uh, you know, orphanages in, in third world countries. I mean, big dreams to, to be able to make impact in the world. Let's say you won the lottery. Where, where, where would you invest all that dough into? Um, a funny story, when I was growing up, um, my, my dad drank this, it's called extra juice, uh, extra juice, you know, in, in English, and it's, uh, in the Philippines, you know, we would have raffles, and you can, you can win a million uh, pesos, and, you know, that, that'd be able to get you a car, at least in the Philippines, you know, like a, like a decent used, you know, car in a, uh, in a dealership, and so, and so we, we grew up, you know, uh, uh, my, my dad would drink the, these, these packets of energy drinks, and we spent like a year or so gathering them and, and putting them in, in, in uh, the raffle draws. And by the time it was the day, uh, you know, when, when the raffle was, was being drawn, we, we were glued to the TV, and we, would just, we were just waiting. Would it be us? Would it, what, what, what would, like, Lord, we were just praying hard, Lord, if you do this, this is going to be awesome. In the middle of, of that, actually, my, my grandma um, was building a church. Uh, we, were, were, we were part of a church planting and missions, little church. And, uh, you know, at that point, we wanted to build the building, and uh, we're short on funds. And, um, and so we were just praying to the Lord. God, if, if you would do this for us, we would be able to build this church. Finish it up, you know, put nice flooring, some lighting in there, you know, have, have some, some, some nice music equipment there. And, um, but you know what happens? It, it never came to fruition. We did not get, and in fact, it was a rich family that got the, the raffle drawn. So millionaires that had have gotten more millions. And so, if you were given all that money, what would you do with it? Good intentions, big dreams, praying to God, hoping for impact. But that doesn't what happened. It's not what happened in our story. And God's will oftentimes is, is like that. You pray for something, and, 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 and perhaps it doesn't happen right away. Or some, sometimes the next generation is the ones that are going to pick it up. It's kind of the same as ministry um, in, in the youth and children's. You, you, you don't see perhaps their faith right away. And then later on, they, they decide to, to commit them, themselves to the Lord. Sometimes it takes years to build up on what God had told you to do. What is your dream? Many others have dreamed big. We know this, people who made impact. I mean, we have Terry Fox, right? And, and we have Martin Luther King Jr., Marathon of Hope. There's civil rights movement that, 
that's still, you know, heard of the impact today. Countless individuals lived their lives and paid big in order to have their dreams realized. What is your dream? As we wrap up this series in the life of David, we find him older and wiser. He made tons of mistakes. He learned through the hard lessons, through the help of, uh, and the provision of the grace of God, he was able to t- return to the Lord again. I mean, and David had gone through some, some big mistakes, some big sins that he has committed. But his secret is going back to the Lord, trusting God, depending on God again. He had periods of awesome victories, becoming king, right? Years after defeating Goliath, defeating Israel's enemies, and conquering the land that the Lord had given them. Charles Swindle says this about about the King David. He concludes that no king was greater than David before and after his time because even though he made lots of mistakes and committed grievous sins, we will see that the Lord at his core was a, uh, David at his core was a person whose trust and dependence was ultimately placed on God. That's the secret. Don't have to be perfect. Trust and depend on the Lord. Today, I want to focus our attention on what made David different. It's exactly that. Trust and dependence on the Lord. Do you trust the Lord today with your life? In the summary statements found in the book of Kings and Chronicles, there you will find how each king was evaluated whether they walked in the way of David, in the ways of the Lord, after God's own heart, or they, they, they did evil in the, in the Lord's sight, perpetually committing sin against the Lord, not following his commands. And so we see this again, evidenced in the New Testament. The apostle Paul in, in, in Acts looks back on David's life and concludes, Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. What will your summary statement be when you're gone? Can you put your name in that blank statement? For blank for, for Ethan, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep in his bird. Can you say that? For Nico, <laughs> after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried. Can you say that the Lord used you at the end of your life? What will your summary statement be when you're gone? Charles Swindoll says this, the tragedy of all tragedies, tragedies is that we should live and die having never found that purpose, that special God-ordained reason for serving our generation. We're not just talking about your job or what you do. It's about the impact that you have made eternally and spiritually in this world. Did God use you? Les Brown says this, the graveyard is the richest place on earth. Because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled in the books. The books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the intentions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered. All because someone was too afraid to take the first step and keep the problem or determined to carry on their dream. We come to God's word today in 2 Samuel 7. 
and observe the central piece of David's heart, his concern, his care for God's reputation and renown. Do you care about God's reputation in your, in your society, in your school, where you work, where you play? We see that in David. This is evidenced by countless songs and prayers that he found himself writing. We read that today. We sang that today. In the book of Psalms, we find his passion for worship and adoration of God. These are the key pieces that that we can observe. These are the secrets that David had. A man after God's own heart, a man of passion for worship and adoration of the Lord, a man who cared about the Lord's um, reputation among other nations that surrounded them even. David prioritized a heart of worship to a point where in 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 16, he would ashamedly worship, unashamedly worship God undignified, a type of worship and dancing before the Lord that made his wife uncomfortable. And, and you know, we're not Pentecostals here, and we're, we're kind of, you know, we're more quiet, right? Anyone very expressive here? Anyone Anyone have the kind of, uh, you know, kind of, kind of worship expression that just makes, you know, would make people uncomfortable here? Anyone? That's, that's what we do at youth, by the way. We're expressive, you know. I got to hang out with young, young guys, so I got to keep up. But that's the kind of heart and passion David had for the Lord. He wanted, he wanted God to be worshipped so much that we find at the end of his life he was dreaming about a place of worship. He was thinking about the temple that was not built yet. He was thinking about upgrading, you know, the tabernacle into a temple of the Lord. And so 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 3. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in the cedar house while the ark of, the, of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. We see as David in his older and wiser age takes rest, as God had given him that, he is done fighting at this point. And in a similar sense, he wanted to give God rest, proper resting place. He was seeing, he was seeing the, the, the tent, and, and, and it seems like, man, this is not, this is not appropriate for, for, for the kind of God that I worship. He dreamed of, of doing so by providing a proper, better building, you know, for God. And so they had a conversation, Nathan and, and uh, David here. And during this, this, this conversation with the prophet Nathan, a very faithful prophet of God who guided, you know, him and at times corrected King David from his sins and mistakes, David would find himself seemingly more honored and blessed by having a palace while the ark of God, the place where God decided to dwell in, was just a tent. Rightly so. It seemed inappropriate for a mere servant to have a bigger house than his God. We know this by looking at the cultural context in the ancient Near East. For, for the Eastern you know, kings throughout history, and certainly in the time of David, they, they would funnel resources and build big, beautiful shrines 
for the gods they worshipped. This, this was a way for them to secure divine providence and, and protection. This is what they did. So David saw fit to do that for the Lord as well. As well, and the prophet Nathan didn't see a problem with it. But what happens in the next verses would seem to indicate that Nathan should have consulted the Lord first before giving counsel. Here it is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you have a position, you're a prophet, you're, you're a preacher. Every time we, we have to, you have to think about make, making decisions and, and really the details of our lives, we have to consult the Lord. We see that in here. God took David from the lowest point. Sorry. Verse 4. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build a house for me to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. Ah, this is, this is why prayer is, is crucial, like I said, as we walk with God. Not only are we to pray during service, once a week, during Sunday mornings, but every day, every decision, every situation, we need to seek God's counsel. Now, the Lord graciously reminds both Nathan and David about his, his own sufficiency and God's own lack of need to have a house. In, in other words, God has no need of our assist, assistance or even our status or even our resources. We often say if, if that person gets saved, God can do so much in his life because he is a celebrity or influencer. I mean, I've, I've certainly said that. I've certainly prayed for, for, for celebrities and people that I admired and, and, and that they would be saved. Funny enough, a bunch of them have gotten saved and have become a believer in the Lord. But saying that is not true. God doesn't see your value based on what you have or your status. God would, would begin to teach the prophet and the king. In all my journeys with all Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribal leaders whom I have commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, asking, why haven't you built a house of cedar? That's verse 7. We can observe all throughout uh, the Old Testament accounts where God graciously corrects his people. And he redirects their desires toward his will. Here we see God remind both Nathan and David about his undeniably powerful presence in the midst of the Israelite camp throughout the time of the Exodus, where God brought them out of slavery from the clutches of Pharaoh, where God led the Israelites by pillar of, of cloud by day and, and pillar of fire by night, eventually choosing to dwell in the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. He did this because it was it, it provided him mobility. He was able to move around. And he was placed in the center of the camp of the Israelites. For centuries, the Lord never asked the leaders. He had placed, he needed a place to build. Nothing fancy, just the tent. 
And so the question is why? I mean, if the other nations are doing it, you know, why not, why not be extravagant, Lord? The answer to this question lies within the same reasons why God had never called us to build fancy buildings. We, we know a lot of dead churches. I mean, there's a picture here. Lots of money have been funded in that. Next one. Remember back in 2018 or something, 2017, Notre Dame fire? $997 million raised to rebuild that. But we got millions of children starving around the world. There are beautiful churches, you know. The next one would be, this one is in Nova Scotia. It's on sale, by the way, for only $250,000. We, like, we need to move there, you know, and <laughs> grab that church. But here's the catch. Millions of dollars needed to repair and maintain. But I mean, still, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. I'd live there, you know, for a day for sure. It's probably scary in there anyways, but. God's presence doesn't dwell in beautiful buildings. And we will learn why this is the case as God flips the script on David and Nathan. So now this is what you are to say to my servant, verse 8. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. Here it is. In other words, God took David from the lowest of the lows, the lowest of societal status to the highest of office and honor. And not only that, we can observe that God is beginning to teach about his omnipresence, his ability to be everywhere and yet be in one place that he chooses to be in. There's a contrast to the pictures that are being drawn. You see, God has been with David in the shepherd's field as he was starting out. God has been with David in the battlefields as he was growing and, 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 and moving his muscles to the will of God. God has been with, with David in the dry wilderness in the deserts. I mean, God has been uh, with David in, the, in Saul's courts where he was a musician an armor bearer, and God was protecting David from King Saul's murderous rage. I mean, King Saul would just throw the, the spears at David, and, and he would just dodge and keep playing his, his instrument. There's an account to that. Read, read that whole story. It's pretty crazy. It's like a reality show, but like times 100, you know? God has been with David in the, in, in the dark caves, God has been with David in, the, in everywhere he went, including the enemy territory. And yet the Lord has not lacked in showing his power, his manifest presence before the Israelites. And certainly in the life of God's chosen servant, David. We're reflecting in a whole chunk of his life here because we're getting to the point where, okay, what's the secret? The Lord's presence. God can be everywhere. 
And yet God's manifest presence is felt in David's life as he looks back. And God was simply reminding him of this. God's presence doesn't dwell in beautiful buildings, but in the life of God's people. His discernible presence is in the life of David, the man after God's own heart. This is the theological part that God is teaching both guys. Do you have the Lord's presence in your life today? Are you able to sense God's power as, he, as, as, as we observe, as you observe the high points and the low points in your life? If your answer is no, let, let the rest of today's message be an invitation for you to see and receive what the Lord graciously offers you today. The rest of verse 9, we see that the Lord flipped the script on David. He says, I will make a great name for you like that, like, like, like that of the greatest on the earth. See, the expression in Hebrew here, make a great name for, occurs six times in the Old Testament. This is where Yahweh, the meaning of the Lord's name, he redirects David's effort of making God a house. And instead, he tells David what he would build for him. Not a physical house, but a legacy and a lineage so great it would parallel the efforts of the people that have tried to build the Tower of Babel in the past, Genesis 11. And here the Lord promises David's family to be a dynasty that would endure forever. This is much more than a building. This is an amazing thing God is willing to do in contrast to all the kings that have tried to immortalize themselves and prevent their inevitable dynastic end with no success. I mean, they would build tombs and they would have servants. Actually, just, just as, as the, the pharaohs and the kings die, they would have servants to go with, with them and, and, and they would dwell in the tombs to accompany these kings. In contrast to all that, God flips the script and offers David something even better, something that will last. Verse 10, I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. You see, the Lord also promises David a lasting security for his people. That means everything to people whose lives were subject to foreign invasions or raids by local tribes as they have been experiencing for hundreds of years. Imagine yourself in ancient times. Invaders press on all miserable, you know, times of your life under pressure nonstop. The Lord promises a relief forever. What is this about? We continue on in verse 11. Ever since the day I ordered the judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. We see here that the Lord redirects David. He denies David's desire to build him a house, the temple. But he rewarded David's heart by building the king a house, a dynasty, composed of David's descendants. 
Verse 12, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after your descendants who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who, who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is where it becomes more clear that this prophecy about David's rule and lineage, it is more eschatological in nature. What does that mean? It's futuristic in nature. It's to be fulfilled in the, in the future. Although it would have some implications of fulfillment in the present, it would ultimately be fulfilled in the future. The Lord did not fulfill this word in the life of David. He wasn't able to see the promise of God, ultimately. We know this from this side of history, that after Solomon's sons and successor, would eventually, it would eventually split the kingdom into two, the north and the south. Most of the kings that will rise to the throne are a bunch of jokers, really, who will follow after Saul and not after David. They will clearly, they were clearly, um, shouldn't be there, really. They were, were, they were not qualified to be there for sure. And you can see that in Kings and Chronicles. They should have been studying God's word in David's life, but they weren't. And so that's, that's what happens. Spiraling down, just like in the book of Judges. That's what would happen to the leadership of, of Israel and Judah. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from you, before you. God again reminds David and Nathan Here we see God's promise of faithful love toward him. His faithful love. Reminder of this Hebrew word hased, Faithful love. This rich term encompassing all that would come to David's line because he belonged to God. And on the other hand, he contrasts that with Saul again. The Lord had removed such love from Saul because of his stubborn rejection of God. Let that be a warning for you today. Don't reject God's love. It's for you. Receive it. And discover who he is and who you can be in him. Verse 16. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. The full meaning of the prophecy of enduring dynasty in the life of David. Here it is will only be found its full meaning in the life of David's greatest descendant. Who is it? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Partial fulfillment in the life of Solomon, but ultimately the theological point that God was pointing out here is that it is fulfilled in the life of Jesus. It's not about beautiful buildings. It's not about the physical. It's about spiritual it's about redemption that will be established forever. Hallelujah. How many of y'all are thankful for the life that David lived pointing to the life of Jesus, whom I call Lord and Savior today. The reason for why we're gathered today. Amen. Acts 13. 
37 to 39, it says this. But the one God raised up, the one that God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Here we see the fulfillment. David eventually decayed. And so the fulfillment is not in him. It's not in his, it's not in his you know, um, immediate family. It was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And this is what the New Testament writers are talking about. That we are justified through him from everything. Who is this man that is able to make us justified, forgiven of our sin? It is Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of the pro- uh, this prophecy is in Jesus. We get the good news in Jesus. And so as we, send, as, as we end this series... We find David, a man of legacy and lineage, pointing to Jesus. We learn his trust and dependence on the Lord and the centrality of worship evidenced by true commitment and devotion to lifting up the name of the Lord throughout his life. That's what he does. That's what the Psalms are about. David did not keep quiet about the things he's learned and the work that God has done in his life. What a life! What a dream! Do you share that dream with David today as you reflect on your own life, as you know how good God has been to you, to share what you've learned and proclaim that to the next generation? This is the reason why I'm in youth ministry. And, um, you know, sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes we don't see a lot of fruit right away. You know, we want the kids to just be fired up and all about the Lord, but, but we're planting seeds in their heart. So then in the future, they would be able to look back on the goodness of God and the Word of God. What a life. You know, whenever I think about life and legacy, I can't help but think about how God has been so good in my own life. I'm going to invite the team and I'm going to share a story with you. Um, we have another song coming after this. I want to talk about my grandma's legacy. You know, I talked, I talked about um, her planting a, this church, building a church when I was growing up. Um, my grandma's legacy of becoming a, a believer. She was a teenager. You know, she was reached out by, by pastors and, and missionaries in the middle parts of the Philippines, uh, islands there. And um, eventually she found her way in one of the big cities. That's where we um, eventually lived in initially. And um, I grew up, you know, seeing her do missions work, you know, visit people, uh, the poor, feeding them and, and sharing the gospel with them. And, and, and her, in her middle age, would spend countless hours talking to the youth and, 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 and inviting them to, to, to a personal relationship with God. Serving in the local church. When God called me in 2015, my grandma went to to Canada, and she shared all her journey about how good God has been, the victories and the failures, and and, and the people that have been impacted. 
And many people have shared those stories with me as well. People who are in their middle age now, who were once youth at the time when grandma was reaching out to them. You know, camps and all, all the different ministry areas she served, served those youths. God was calling me to ministry. And I can't help but, but, but bawl my eyes out because my grandma came from a pagan family, animistic family, you know, idol-worshiping family. And God turned his, her life around and, 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 and built this legacy. We planted churches. We did missions. I grew, up, I grew up sharing the gospel and looking at the goodness of God through it all. And eventually, she wanted to build a bigger church building, but it didn't happen. And it, it occurred to me while I was studying this, what can I share with the people? It's not about buildings. Although, you know what? I would enjoy if we build a bigger building so we can have the youth, bigger groups, and have a gym, you know, area. But it's not about that. That would be amazing if God provides that. Anyone who has money here, you know, donate your money. But it's not about that. It's about the eternal impacts that you can make in the, in, in the people that God has placed in your life. And so I want to leave with that message in the life of David as we, as we kind of leave this, this, this story. We see David really made sure that his life was about perpetuating the worship of God and impacting as many people as possible. And it was ultimately not about the temple because in AD 70, the Romans would destroy the temple that Solomon built. Right? So it's not enduring. It's about spiritual, not physical. We know without a shadow of a doubt that the same temple was not to endure. Revelation 21, 22. In the new heaven and new earth, it says this. John was seeing the vision for the future. He says, I did not see a temple in it. Because the Lord God... The Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. What does that mean? You got to treasure your Lord and your Savior in your heart so that you're always realigned to who He is, to His heart. The temple will be gone. The Lord God, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, he should be the scent of our lives today. Realign our, ourselves to Him, his, his will, His commitment, our commitment to, to His, what He desires to accomplish. In view of eschatology, it says David's legacy had really become about the heart of worship. I want to leave you with that. This is what, what this message series was about. It's about the heart of worship. That the Lord would be the center of the heart of man. That is the secret. Let's live according to that. There are missionaries. There are people that have gone before you and me that have done amazing things for God. And um, we want to follow their example. And so the question is, what about you? Are you on a mission? What contribution will your life make when it's all said and done? Will you trust and depend on God for his will and his purpose in your life? It's not David's will that was done. It was the Lord's. 
And he simply trusted God. And he simply depended on God for all of the details in his life. My prayer for us this season is that we would make it our goal to follow the Lord's instruction every day. Will you live like David, a man of legacy and mission for the Lord? Can I hear an amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the stories of the life of David. Thank you for the word. There is a great need and I pray that your people will, will hear that today. The need to invest and think about the future generation. The legacy in the lineage of people who have yet to be discovered, who have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that as church, we would be on mission. And that we would encourage one another to be about you centered on your heart, centered on your mission. Not fighting about little details and even theological distinctions, but God, that we would truly worship you and bring the worship of your people here to where it has not yet been. And so empower us to do that, Lord. Help us to do that. We trust you. We depend on you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's re reflect on this song. <laughs>